0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic
1: that makes you look or feel good with long-form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. We're here again with the Fresh Boys, John Delaney, JJ's, JJ's, John Holbrook, and John Delaney, the invent- Hello, gentlemen, inventors in- of Fresh inventors. Clinics, inventors, in- founders, in- founders, incredible inventors. to
2: be with, revolutionaries, you
0: guys
1: again. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we had you guys on the podcast well quite some time
3: ago it must feel like over a year yeah, ago uh, now, closest to 18 months now feels yeah. like about 25 years ago yeah, yeah. a lot a lot this happened since then yeah well, oh, well, we're so naive David
1: <laughs> you're all well are you are you sort of feeling more worldly now that the last sort of 18 months are under your belt and yeah progressing forward I mean you guys seem to be growing from strength to strength and we thought let's get you back on here Let, let's touch base let's see what's happening let's re-remind people what you do and how you do it and let's talk about some of the new changes that you guys have implemented and some of the new regulatory things that are happening in the background as well.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. So why don't we reintroduce you? Cause there's been a whole bunch of yes. listeners since you guys were last on. So I'll start with John D, John Delaney. Do you want to yeah. introduce yourself just briefly and tell us what you've, what you've done a bit of a, a career pivot yourself?
3: Yeah. I look, Hi, Jake. Hi, David. Thanks for having us. And um, you know, right back at you, you guys are having tremendous success too. I think, um, the you know, from, from what I understand that the, the um list of numbers just keep going up and up, and you guys represent a really nice niche in this global community, really, of okay. um, serious practitioners coming together and having a conversation about um, the industry and things that affect it, so um, kudos to you guys as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm uh, one of the co-founders and uh, co-directors of Fresh Clinics. Um, we're an Australian-based company. Um, uh, medical service to um, to the cosmetic industry. Um, we provide, both John and I are doctors, and we provide um, medical oversight and compliance assistance to largely independent cosmetic clinics in Australia. And we get into the particulars around how the regulatory framework in Australia works and why our business um, has succeeded in, the, in that particular niche. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, that's me. So, you know, my background's um, uh, in emergency medicine. Um, I've recently changed. I'm doing general general practice two days a week and and i actually interestingly i work in the the covid quarantine hotels in sydney as well oh. um so that's that's sort of my day job and then and then fresh uh, occupies a fair bit of the the other hours of the, the day as well and um you know, i've got a, a a family at home who who consume the rest so that's um two lovely kids and my wife um so you know life's, life's pretty busy at our end yeah
0: and john holbrook let's let's do the recap on on your life story
2: yeah so a bit of- Uh, I don't know if you want to say pivot as well, but a little bit of a change. So I was uh, doing general practice last time we spoke, uh, as well as cosmetics. And I continue with the cosmetic side, although not recently, given that everything's locked down in Sydney, unfortunately. Um, And I've taken some time off from general practice just because as Fresh continues to grow, it sort of starts to consume more and more time. And so I've taken a step back from cutting out skin cancers and and other items within general practice and uh, focusing a bit more on fresh, still doing the cosmetic side of things as well. And then similarly to John D, have got little kids at home and it's busy and it's crazy and fun and (laughs) good. So, yeah.
0: I know how you both feel. So you guys actually both in unique positions within the COVID situation at the moment. So, yeah, from a business perspective, I'm sure COVID's, obviously hit your New South Wales and, and other states sort of um, sort of in different timings. And then John Delaney, you said you're working in the COVID quarantine hotels. So just give us a bit of a snapshot of, of what you think is happening with the whole lockdown situation and vaccination. Oh and yeah. Programs. Goodness,
3: Jake. Yeah. Look, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not privy to any sort of inside running or anything like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be part of um, the, the biggest quarantine program in Australia's history. And I think it's done a really terrific job. Um you know, there's been some, some obvious um, uh, issues um, with with leaks and 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 what have you. But but I know that people working um, in the program are, are capable and diligent, work really hard. And uh, from my perspective as an emergency doctor, when COVID hit, um, you know, my hat was off to New South Wales Health, and in fact, the New South Wales government. Um, not to be political at all, but they just sort of opened the checkbook to to um, to the scientists and to the doctors, and you know. I was in Wollongong Hospital at the time, and they they brought on two whole new ICUs, and it was tremendous. Like if if COVID had to hit Australia, we were as prepared as we could ever be, and we we did really well up until kind of the vaccine um, rollout, which I'm now quite a part of with with my GP work. So that's been a drip feed, um, and that's that's a frustration. And as a business owner, now where you know the first time the COVID lockdowns hit, we were fortunate in that our business model was really lean, and we were able to sort of you know close the shutters and. Um, just just wait for the storm to pass. But this time around we've got a you know, we've got a staff of twenty five and and um uh and and a bunch of software developers and all sorts of other overheads that we didn't have before. So we're experiencing that stress of of um revenue restriction and mm. um uh the lockdowns seem to be a part of life. It seems like the political um uh, uh, benefit is is now the pendulum has swung to who can lock down the fastest, whereas before it seemed to be, you know. Who 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 can hold out the longest? And Gladys probably was unlucky in her timing in the the musical chairs of that. In that she just just happened to be the person who who caught this delta break and didn't lock down fast enough. And you know everyone's everyone's a bit of an armchair critic um, in in hindsight. But I'm oh, um, right here. It's uh, very yeah. Mates every
0: day about all of this Mo- stuff. Monday
3: morning quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah look, it's it's like it's 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 challenging. You know, I wouldn't want to make these calls. It's easy to look back and say what should have been done, what should be done now uh it's 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 hard you know the lockdowns are going to have to keep happening we need to get vaccinated and if i could just put my gp hat on at the moment astrazeneca is a really high quality vaccine it does a really good job it prevents people from going to hospital prevents people from getting really sick so um if that's the vaccine that's available to you uh again have a chat with your gp but but i, I would advocate for people to consider that obviously Pfizer is coming online just just get out there and get vaccinated um as many people as can um that's that's sort of my piece on on COVID.
0: Mm-hmm. brilliant And actually, I'm just curious because you guys have a unique snapshot of the injectable market, obviously in Australia. So, how how down are your calls? Like, how many injectors are now not working, or what percentage? It
2: it correlates pretty precisely with you know where where's locked down, right? So, I mean, currently as we speak, we've got Greater Brisbane and Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast is all locked down, and and then Greater Sydney as well. So the calls correlate with that you know a couple weeks ago it was melbourne and thankfully melbourne's i think they've you know been through this so many times at this point that everybody's excellent down there at locking down and so um so it's there's a very direct correlation with that the regions still continue to operate um which is you know that's great for them and and um and you know they shouldn't need to lock down if they if they don't need to and so they continue to operate but it's really it's as john Delaney mentioned, right? It's a pretty dynamic situation where for us it's things are changing kind of week by week. And and we're, you know, we sp- we spend a lot of time and resources uh in software development as one area. Um, there are other areas as well, and we can talk a little bit about that. But so it's trying to juggle, you know, we're already semi-limited resources within like, these massive swings in 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 how things are going. And and then there are, it, it's an interesting, I, I think one interesting facet of this is that John and I have always taken a very kind of medical view of this, that, that what this is, is medicine. It, it, it may be um, elective medicine, but it is medicine nonetheless. And so sometimes you'll have, we will have, um, you know, injectors who will have treated patients sort of pre-lockdown and then there may be some sort of mild complication that then um is during lockdown and and there i have seen certainly some hesitance of like oh like things are locked down and i don't you know i don't know what what do we do and and for me i'm it's very clear i'm like look guys this is why we are doctors and nurses right like this is why we're not hairdressers injecting this is medicine and in fact this is why you know personal kind of bugbear of mine is is referring to patients as patients Mm. Um, a lot of people call them clients and i'm like no they're not clients uh they're patients and and that becomes very evident when you know they've been some pretty minor things of i think you know cold sores that have appeared and that kind of thing but nonetheless requiring review and i'm saying look in spite of the lockdown this is a medical issue and and so like you know we need to review it yeah, yeah.
1: so i'm just conscious that we're um we're having a good chat here and um Talking about things like COVID, but I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, you know, what are Fresh Clinics? What do you guys do? And um, you know, not all of our listeners that have come on recently may have listened to the episode that we did with you guys. So, can you just give us a rundown about what you guys do? The amazing app that you've developed, your support network, how you how you sort of have created this environment that has allowed, particularly cosmetic nurses, to go out and potentially start their own practices and, and work a little more autonomously. Whilst not compromising on medical safety and having access to doctors, you know if and when things go wrong, and also for, for scripting as well.
3: Yeah, thanks, David. Yeah, sure. I can I can speak to that a little. Um, uh, so, you know, when, in Australia, the the situation exists that uh, if a registered nurse wishes to do cosmetic um, injecting. Um, in uh, a clinic of their own, that's okay, provided they have a, a doctor to supervise, and provided the doctor authorizes those treatments, um, and the doctor um, provides uh, a measure of legal oversight over the, the cosmetic medicines that are in their in that clinic. And so we provide those services, um, and and we help um, we help provide powerful. Um, medical support powerful back end support for otherwise independent nurses um, you know that that cap sort of came out of the bag with in Australia at least um, a lot a lot of the uh, credit for that credit might be the wrong word in some people's eyes but but a lot of the um reason that that occurred was through the you know pr- pr- proliferation of the chains in Australia and, and LCA's. I mean, obviously the the most prominent um which which helped drive this democratization of cosmetic injectables in Australia, and by virtue of that, there, be, there became a real drive for these nurses to inject um, and inject in their own clinics, and they wanted to to start their own businesses. And there was a there was a challenge around that around getting a doctor who who knew about cosmetics and had the capacity to help guide with policies, procedures, protocols, safety, etc. Um, so that that became pretty hard for. For registered nurses trying to get out and do that, and we solved a lot of those problems. Um, we came at it from a um, from a medical point of view, as, as John mentioned, and we're both doctors and we take that seriously. But also from a technological point of view, so we've we've invested a lot in software to help make the. Um, the process of of getting compliant paperwork and making sure that you've done all the right things by the regulations is as streamlined as possible, not cutting any corners, not missing any steps, but but um, ensuring that flow through for businesses. Um, and so we, you know, we have we have a couple of priorities. Number one, it's obviously patient safety, which we take very seriously, um, and the other is that um, we want to help. Um, we want to help small businesses succeed, um, and we really, um, I think, a driver of our success. If we, you know, reflect back on the question that Jake brought earlier about us um, having some success over the the last twelve to eighteen months, has been that we really do enable. Um, nurses in particular and largely um, largely a, a feminine cohort, largely a female cohort to start their own business um, and to pursue an entrepreneurial aspiration that they have. Um, we, we facilitate that, we make that easier for those people to do that, um, provide them with a lot of backup support. We've got a big um, uh, account management team that helps support them. We've got a big compliance team, dedicated cosmetic registered nurses who um, go through all the compliance with these registered nurses who are. Um, Almost universally, passionate about being compliant, passionate about being on the right side of the law. Sometimes uncertain about exactly what to do. That's where we come in. Um, to a large part, we help them with that, help them maintain their, their compliance, and help them maintain their product cold chains and all those other sorts of things that you've got to do. So that's 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 a large part of what we offer, you know, um, in our view.
0: And just to recap, there'll be a lot of listeners from from different countries, so. Who can inject in Australia and who can prescribe in Australia? Because we've done podcasts with, you know, I remember we did one with uh, Pega in, in the UAE and she, she couldn't believe that nurses injected. So, you know, each country's got its own unique nuances, I guess. So just recap on who can uh-huh. inject and who can prescribe for us.
2: And that's probably a, a bit of a time the question. In fact, part of why we're here, right, to discuss. So New South Wales is, has um, released some new, and regulatory uh, positions and guidance uh, that come into effect on the first of september and and some of what they have done is um clarified who it is in in the eyes of, of government you know who it is that can that can inject and then sort of quote unquote prescribe and um you know, prescribe is colloquially it's what everyone calls it but in you know, we kind of maintain that we're not really writing prescriptions at all, uh, but we can talk a little bit about about that. But it, so, within Australia, then um, the doctors um, can inject, uh, nurse practitioners can inject, and then dentists um, can inject. Which is the dentists were always a maybe almost grey. I don't think that they were really grey, but there was a little bit of discomfort within industry as to whether dentists um, could or not. Uh, but it's pretty clearly uh, outlined within this new uh, regulatory guidance from New South Wales Health that dentists as well are are included in that. Um, And so not only can they inject, but they can then also oversee um, the injecting, which is done by registered nurses as well. Um, And so um, registered nurses can inject under the Sort of guidance and, and medical authority of those aforementioned parties so doctors, uh, nurse practitioners, and dentists.
0: Right. Okay. That's a pretty major, but probably positive change. We, we've discussed in the podcast before that, you know, we've had Lee Walker on, you know, dentally trained and a few others, and, you know, you just look abroad and there's some highly skilled dentists. And if you think about it, their job is very practical, it's facially basis, sorry, facially based, their, their level of knowledge of head and neck anatomy is way better than I assume mine and any nurse and and, and any doctor. Um, so why wouldn't they be able to pick up that skill and develop it if they so choose? So wish? Totally.
3: Well, I mean, I, I think that's, that's really reasonable, Jack. And, um, you know, the other thing to mention, and it's probably been mentioned on the show a number of times before, but in Australia around about 70% of the cosmetic injecting that's done is done by registered nurses. So yeah. it's the majority is actually done by registered nurses. And in our experience, they're, highly trained highly dedicated professionals um and i think we we owe it to them to um to recognize that talent and recognize that dedication and recognize that subspecialty training that uh, many of them pursue um and and you know we're, we're often um uh, often really pleased and um Delighted when we meet nurses at the the events that we run, and we do we do a number of events, you know, outside of COVID, we're, we're regularly running get-togethers to try and foster the great community that exists within Australian cosmetic nursing. Uh, you know, we're often just just delighted at the level of expertise that that we come across, um, and the level of passion for the industry. Yeah,
1: and just quickly, um, could you just run us through how your interface works? Just, just again for people that are unfamiliar, because um, I've had a look at. I'm highly impressed with. You know, it's an app on your phone. Well, actually, you tell me. I, I, I won't. I won't. Yeah,
3: sure. Thanks, David. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I mean, so John and I, uh, when we began our our business, it it was essentially a. Um, we, we needed a software program that facilitated the creation of compliance paperwork. Really. It's, it's as unsexy as that, but, um, but building out from that, we have, we have seen that, that this market is underserviced by by a lot of, a lot of people, actually. Um, it's been underserviced historically by the medical, medical franchise, medical fraternity, medical um, industry. It's been underserviced by technology. Um, it's been a little bit underserviced by the major pharmaceuticals. Um, we've come in and, and, And changed a little bit of that and and we're providing a lot of really high quality client service to the nurses that we work really closely with and part of that service offering is that we provide a software platform that um, enables them as we continue to build it to operate their entire clinic on one software platform totally integrated um totally seamless created um, in a specific way for their workflow in their industry. The start of that is the the uh, fresh app that we've got at the moment. Um, so that enables uh, a nurse, or in fact, a doctor, if they wish to use it, of course, um, it's 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 well uh, equipped for that. But the, the initial thought is that a nurse will use it to uh, document uh, as an EMR, their patient history, um, their consent documentation, their pre and post treatment photographs, um, their clinical notes. There is uh, embedded within the app, the function for a video chat with the doctor, um, in which they can conduct their their video consultation as required by Australian law. So that's a that's a Australian regulatory um, nuance. Um, but uh, that's that's all embedded in app. Um, and and at the doctor side, you know they can. They can um, receive those consultations via the app, um, provide their authority or or decline, as as it were, um, and that there's an instant um, notification at both ends. um, Compliant paperwork is generated instantly. It's all stored, um, you know, in, in perpetuity and it's stored securely. That, that's a big issue we've found across the spectrum is the the lack of security and, and, and both paper and digital security around these medical records, including photographs, has been something of a concern. So that's you know that's a part of the industry that we're trying to lift, um, and we've got ambitions around what we can do and what the industry can do as we embrace. digital future which includes such things as much more comprehensive adverse events recording and management um you know we think inventory management can become much more standardized digitized which makes life easier not only for the nurses and particularly the nurses and and doctors who are doing the right thing but but also the regulators you know we want to be we want to work with the regulators and we've sat with new south wales health a number of times and you know we're quite open to um, to, you know, opening our books and, and having a, an honest and frank discussion. We, we want to be good partners, good partners to society, good partners to regulators, you know, good partners within the medical and nursing community. We're trying to do the right thing. Our our clients and and um, the people we work with are. We think digital solutions are really enhanced, the speed and ease at which we can all do the right things. Yeah. Um, and we've got other ambitions as well. So that's, you know, we, we see the software as a, as a real central play to trying to make life easier for the nurses that we work with and empower them to do better in their small businesses and at the same time, improve the safety of the the patients that we all treat.
2: I think, you know, we, the focus for us uh, until now, we've really sort of built this on um, being focused on uh, largely, you know, sort of independent uh, nurse injectors. But as John mentioned, you know, our, uh, look, there's the truths of, in terms of being underserviced, uh, really go you know, far beyond nurses, and certainly doctors and dentists, and really anybody that's in the industry. And it's not just within Australia um, from the tech side of things, but uh, I think that's it's true globally. And so, um, from a platform perspective, you know, we are uh, working to sort of open things up again. So it's not just nurses, but in fact, that it's to the greater uh, you know doctors and, and dentists that are out there as well. And so. Yeah, lots is, working hard, lots is coming, but yeah. It's, how do I word this question? Um,
0: you said that this, the industry, particularly compliance, was sort of almost an afterthought, I guess. It was sort of underserviced and badly done. When you went to the, you know, New South Wales Health or, or, or the health department, whoever, did they have an understanding of the problem or did you almost have to
3: explain this is the problem? Look, it's, it's difficult because New South Wales Health Uh, And you know, I don't. Again, I'm a believer in most of the world is good people trying to do the best thing that they can do. Right? And New South Wales Health fits in that category. They, you know, they're good people doing doing their job and doing the best they can do. Um, they're, They're largely and rightfully concerned about about outlying risk factors like black market imports unregulated clinics etc mm. etc cetera, et cetera. so the conversation we have with them is is your concerns are our concerns we want well regulated clinics we want transparency about where these products are going and the treatments they're being done in and when there's an adverse um, event we want to know about it we want to know what the treatment that was done how long it took what the outcome was etc cetera, etc cetera. so we we have those conversations with them and they're they're um they acknowledge that and they're happy to move forward. However, their remit is to work the regulation. Um, so uh, what that means is, you know, if the regulation says, you know, you must do these injections, you know, standing on your head, they they don't, like, they don't care how practical it is or how reasonable it is. Like, that's what the regulation says. That's mm. what you're going to do. And if you're doing that, you're okay. If you're not doing that, you're not okay. So they, they um, they I find, are, are, you know, the good people to work with, um, but they're constrained in that capacity, um, and so we we have this uh, issue within the industry. I I see that there's not a there's not a you know an overarching authority body that's working collaboratively on the problems that we all see. We all see it. You know, everyone can sit in a room and and point out the issues that are there. I think there are good operators in the industry who are working collaboratively towards good solutions, and and that's really good. Um, we uh you know we're interested in in having productive conversations with those people all the time and we do um but i think there's you know there, there remains some sort of need at some point that that there becomes you know some sort of oversight um, body and and we you know we welcome that and work with those people you know the nursing Midwifery board of um new south wales is a good example um that you know we think that that cosmetic nursing should become a specialty in its own right and, you know, have its own chapter. Um, I think that would go a long way. We can get, you know, national training, um, frameworks recognized. You can have accreditation pathways and all that sort of stuff. You know, we're moving towards there, the industry is maturing. Um, but th- those are the sort of, uh, problems that, um, that, I think can be resolved through that collaboration. Is that is that along the lines of what you were talking about? Yeah,
0: yeah, and and I guess following on from that question, and this is something that came up in our panel discussion that we did, um, I don't know, five or six episodes ago. It almost seems like that would work for the nursing side of of injectors because they seem to have you know, more of a collaborative uh, approach to how they want to be educated. But when it comes to us doctors, we're all squabbling amongst ourselves. We've got, you know, different factions and plastics and derms and the yeah, so-called look, cosmetic frankly, physicians, which frankly, isn't even a Jake, specialty. The
3: nurses need the support. They need they need to be unionized because they're often attacked. Um, yes. they're, they're, they're scapegoated for, um, for issues of, um, you know, perceived compliance infractions or... Um, poor treatment outcomes in patients that um, that I think are unfair in the main. No, um, I agree. Think I think they're marginalized. Um, I think that um, that largely it's it's very easy for doctors to rest on their laurels when a lot of these nurses have had extensive training in aesthetics, extensive training in facial anatomy, and you know, sure, don't get me wrong, max surgeon, head and neck surgeon, what have you, um, but there are plenty of doctors out there um, who who don't have a level of training of some of these nurses that don't yep. get me wrong. Um, the doctors need to have their place in this chain. There needs to be a medical level of safety, um, particularly as it pertains to, you know, the patient's medical history and medications they're on and, um, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, absolutely. Yep. But, you know, we're a big advocate for the nurses. We think that they are, um, they're training hard, they're working hard, they're professional, they're entrepreneurial, um, they're setting up their own thing, you know, and, and, as I mentioned at the start there's there's a there's a heavy um, there's a heavy preponderance of of females in this cohort so this this is a business that that registered nurses can get into that um, allows them the freedom to work outside of shifts, outside of the hospital, outside of some of the backbreaking labour that the nurses get into, which, you know, hats off, it's it's a a really hard job. Um, Here's an opportunity for them to get out. What they need is training. What they need is some medical support and they need a sympathetic organisation who was willing to hear their problems out, um, you know, dispassionately and rationally and try and help them rather than point the finger and try and denigrate and try and put people down. So, that's, that's our piece you know i don't want to get too like polemic about it but but we're, we're real advocates for the nurses in this industry and look i would say to you, jake that it's real sort of classic that's a real classic doctor move
2: as well right that like everything gets really political amongst ourselves right <laughs> yeah. so it's the like derms are over there protecting their corner and the plastics are somewhere else picking their corner and somebody else is protecting you know their corner and, and in fact I mean, it's it's not just within cosmetics, but it's medicine. Often is is like that, um, and it's and if we want to advance, you know, as an industry, it's in all of our best interest to like set aside the silly little squabbles and come together. And and um, like I'm on a advisory committee for one of the larger pharmaceutical companies that, in this space, and um, in one of the recent meetings there we're some heads of some of these large uh you know organizations um industry bodies basically in the cosmetic space who actually had said that which is like we need to work together and we just need to like put all of it aside and so i think that there's there's broad recognition of uh that as well right because it's it's just it's it doesn't help anybody um, to that, that sort of infighting that, that does occasionally happen with the medicine, and and it's in it's not in the pac- patient's best interest. It's not in the doctor's best interest. It's really in, in no one's best interest to be like that.
0: Yeah. I think if anyone's listened to the podcast, it couldn't be clearer that we support (laughs) nurses and and we're on the same page. It's just, um, well, my original question, I don't know if you got the wrong end of the stick, was that I think it's the doctors that are the problem. They're the stumbling block. It's the nurses who are going to run with this and and sort of align with each other. They'll Uh, uh, be recognized within within nursing, but doctors will
2: be left behind. Yeah. Well, that's right. And I think the doctors need to come together because they are they are being left behind. In fact, right? Yeah.
1: Well, now that the nurses are starting to get together. We had Jacinta King on um, from up in Brisbane, um, Sunshine here, Coast. Sunshine Coast. From um, for the panel discussion that we had, and you know they've got the their own association now. So the the um, the CNA, the Cosmetic Nurses Association, they're doing great things. They're they're recruiting um, new members all the time, and I think that they're looking at, in inward um, with their own their own industry and their own people, and, and thinking how can we do things better? How can we, you know. Identify issues, how do we sort of make sure that us as a collective group of nurses are doing better and have got the support there um, when we need it and to have people to look up to and, and resources and so on. So I think that we're starting to see, you know, unionisation sometimes has some negative sort of connotations to it, but I think that coming together as a collective, especially, you know, they're making up 70% of the industry. I mean, I mean, it's, it could be even more than that. I think that's probably an, un, an under report to be honest with you. I think it's probably more than that when you look at the number yeah. of treatments um, that they're doing. You know, you might have a lot of doctors that, you know, plastic surgeons, for example, they might spend one day a week injecting, but they're still, you know, registered as an injector. I think the volumes of treatments are probably more than 70%. Yeah,
2: I think you're right. And look, they've always, I mean, it's it's always been that way. Like that yeah. that precedes us by a long time, you know, and, in, and historically, right, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it was nurses in plastics rooms that are doing the injecting, like the, the plastic surgeons aren't injecting. You know, yeah. these guys are operating.
1: Um, I was going to ask you just more of a, a business related question, and we'll get on to more of the medical technical stuff in a minute. I was all curious as to what the sort of trends you're seeing in terms of how many nurses are sort of coming onto your books. And I don't need to know numbers and figures and all that sort of stuff, but just generally, I mean, you're still seeing this exponential growth of new nurses coming on. I'll call it the the nurses liberation movement almost, you know, they're sort of let out of jail. They can go and do their own thing. Now they don't have to work within a chain clinic or a plastic surgeon's office um, under, under, under someone else's control. They're very much their own people. Now they're their own businesses. Are you seeing these numbers increase? And are you seeing people that are sort of going, you know what? I like the idea of my own business. That was a great experiment, but you know, it looks a lot easier than what it is. Um, I'm going to go back and go and work somewhere where I can just turn up. I take care of my patients. I don't have to worry about marketing and paying staff and websites and all this other shit that goes along with running a business. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah what are your you, sort of takeaways right. from that? Yeah. So, so there's a bit. There's a bit of a mix, to be honest, um, David. What, what we see a fair bit. Um, uh, we get a lot of interest from nurses who are. Yeah, you, you're right. You know, they've you know maybe they've done a little bit of time somewhere, and they want to they want to branch out and and start their own thing. Absolutely, we we are a great supporter for those people and really help them. We see a lot of um, really experienced nurses who are probably looking for um, a change in their lifestyle from the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ICU, ED, burns, burns wards, um, that sort of thing. Um, highly skilled clinicians who you know are. Uh, with with you know jake Jake uh, and John and I've worked in the, the public hospitals and and know um know the strain um you know and the privilege but the strain and that's something that sometimes I want to break away from we can assist them with that too um you know first first protocols there's training of course and, and we can do that and assist them with that and we can sometimes facilitate um, work for them in the chains as well um the the second part of your yeah, your example is yeah you know there, there are plenty um, plenty like that too. Um, it's not all it's not all I don't know beer and skittles. Choose your choose your, <laughs> um. <laughs>
2: <laughs> your yeah.
3: You know it's 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 hard work and and sometimes people people will start a clinic like you say and and they'll find it uh, difficult to get the proverbial bum in the seat because um, that's that's not easy and and it can be made to look easy sometimes. Yeah. Um, uh You know we it's probably easy to underestimate that and I'm sure David you can speak a fair bit to how challenging that can be in yeah. to, to operate a, a clinic that's having sustained success
1: yeah absolutely yeah it's you know running a business there's, there's so many so many things to think about and you don't realize that I mean it you know unless you I mean even going and doing a business degree or an MBA I mean it, Theoretically arms you with what you know. You can have a look at you know P&Ls, and you can you know which which formulas to look at in terms of how to assess a business and what it's worth and return on investment and all that sort of stuff. But just the day to day mechanics of running a business, no one can arm you with that information ahead of time. It's really difficult, and yeah, um, and people yeah. management. Know, that's there's no people, there's people no ruin it'll <laughs> prepare
3: for that right like <laughs> yeah. you know in in the good and the bad you know yeah. you get these amazing um we, we work with an amazing team we, we really love our team they're, they're terrific individuals but what takes up most of john and I, john and our time now is is um you know meetings and HR. um yeah you know, managing <laughs> managing the um the the various different you know intelligent people that we're working with so that's that's kind of that's that's it right that's that's the business yeah,
0: yeah. i'm actually interested so operationally y- y- you went from just two of you to 25 plus two of you so what what it, what is happening behind the scenes what 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 do you need that you didn't need before
3: well behind the scenes there's there's a number of people just cranking wheels usually, <laughs> <and> as fast <laughs> lots as they can lots of hamsters. Yeah. Exactly hamsters. Many hamsters lots of curtains <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah
2: look it's it we've um you know there's only so much that two of us uh, can do and there's only so much expertise that two of us have and so as we uh, part of it is in as we've grown from purely a, a service where you know you can come get your compliant paperwork basically and and you know yeah. get in touch with a doctor too actually look we're we're, we're building a community here right yeah. that this is and when i got into cosmetics i, I didn't maybe appreciate that sometimes it can be a little like knives out at times um i just like i, I neither of us have any sort of interest in that and so part of the way that we manage that is that we actually try really hard to build a community where it's like look you know what it's enough out there for everybody right and, and we can support each other and some of that's just um uh, that community it means some of it's very social um, some of it's very training-based um, and that extends, you know, to uh, across the medical faculty, you know, and, and, and so come one, come all, like everyone is welcome, right? It's a, it's a, it's a big tent. And so, so that makes up some of it. The, um, I spend a very great deal of time on the software product and, mm-hmm. and we're working on a lot of uh, sort of building out that software products so that it's a um, sort of richer and um i guess better experience uh, and that it, it like addresses a lot of the needs that exist in running a business and running a clinic and all of those things um so there's the community side there's the training side there's the software development side there's just the logistics of, of like dealing with clinics and and overseeing the um compliance side of things and ensuring that you know these are these are regulated medications, and and it's important that they you know, that that we sort of abide by the requirements of you know, how those are meant to be used, how they're meant to be stored, how they're meant to be transported, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that makes up a big chunk of it as well.
1: Yeah, one of the. Um... Topics that came up during the panel discussion, which for anyone listening that wants to go and um, sort of check that out, was episode one twenty six. I'm quite sure it was. Appreciate no, sure. we'll check I'm as we one twenty six. Was discussion around telehealth in general, um, and I think that everyone understood that telehealth is. It's a necessary um, part of the way that we work now, um, both in a business and a medical compliance perspective. Was 126? Yeah, it was. Oh, God, yes. Um, Well done. Was that, um, you know, there's nothing replaces seeing the patient in person, you know, being able to palpate, feel the face. You know, there's something, you know, looking at a screen, it's a 2D image. Um, and that was something that, you know, like I think Stephen Liu brought up, I think, you know, sort of Davin, even Dr. Davin Lim agreed with it as well. And I can sort of see both sides of the argument. What do you guys sort of say to that in terms of some of the restrictions with telehealth, especially when you're sort of doing a consultation, which is very visually based, you're looking at someone's face and and sort of making an assessment on whether they're suitable for treatment or not. And then I guess in terms of, you know, the complication management side of things as well. Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, I can speak to that first if you like, John. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's we we sort of have become a, a little bit of the the easy target for this this mm-hmm. sort of conversation, um, yeah. which is fine. We're we're happy to have those conversations, yeah. but you know, this but is I think we need to, yeah, 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 totally. I mean, this is so so. You know, it's it's um, first and foremost, uh, we don't think it compromises patient safety. We think that having a centralized um, referral network of specialist expertise enhances the safety of the patients. Um, we, you know, it doesn't matter where our patients are, they've got access to, to highly trained, um, experienced people who can manage cosmetic complications. And that's not necessarily true. Uh, of doctors across the spectrum. Um, I'm speaking again f- from my background in emergency. It's very uncommon for any emergency doctors to know how to manage this. It's very uncommon for highlays to be available in an emergency department, mm. um, even if they even if it is recognised. Um, so the the industry needs to have its own support mechanisms, and they need to be uh, centralised to to the rare, you know the the rarely skilled people in Australia who can do that. Um, you know, we think we've got capability there. I'd, I'd put a shout out through to AMET for, um, mm-hmm, for their absolutely. capabilities there as well. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're very skilled. I think Stephen's involved with them. Yep. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's a that's that's what um, the, that's the advantage of the telehealth medicine. You can be in Dubbo, you can be in Brisbane, you can be in Perth, and you get high quality um, telehealth support with on the ground support available if you need it. Um, in Metro centers, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge of Australia. It's a challenge rural and regional Australia faces. I'm from the country. Um, Telehealth is, is, is such a um, special uh, Australian um, advantage because of the population density that we have. So even, even if you want to talk about cosmetics, right, if you, if you were to say, okay, you cannot do telehealth for cosmetics, you know, who misses out Well, you know, who can still get their cosmetics is people in Turak and people in Mossman and people in, foreclose. and people who can't get it anymore, people in Dubbo and people in Wagga and people in Tamworth, etc. Yeah. So, yeah. so from a point of view of equity, um, from a point of view of safety, we think it's great. Yeah. From a point of view of cosmetic outcomes, we we actually look if if you want to get treated by a plastic surgeon or a dermatologist, you know, uh, you can you can we can argue in a different conversation about treatment outcomes and yeah. um, and obviously they've got a, a high degree of training and, and probably. Um, they're they're going that's going to be reflected in, in the, the treatment outcomes of the patient. But that's that's a, a different level, right? That's, that's, that's very expensive. That's very hard to get for most people, et cetera, et cetera. And we talked earlier in the conversation about the democratization of yep. the industry in Australia. That cat is out of the bag. Yep. We, we didn't set the rules. Yep. But if we don't come in as medical professionals, take ownership of the situation, and um, provide a structure for the right things to happen, and the right safety mechanisms to be in place. Someone else will, and, and that may, they may in fact not have any medical background at all. So we think by coming in under the rules as they're set and providing a platform for patients to have a security of referral network and a medical professional judging whether or not the treatment is safe, provides a great deal of comfort for us and a great deal of comfort for the industry and for the patients. There is an element of the question here that is, are nurses suitable for making cosmetic assessments? And are they suitable for making judgments around treatment? There is a legal dimension to this in that only the doctor can give a treatment recommendation. And that is the way that we operate. Absolutely. Only the doctor gives the treatment recommendation. But uh, if we take take our legal hats off and think about the, the moral and structural nature of the industry, is it appropriate that a nurse who's been working for several years, three, four, five years, who's had a significant degree of training, who's seen thousands of patients, is it, are they allowed to make an aesthetic assessment? Can they do an assessment of the patient's face? I would say that they're probably in a reasonable position to make a pretty educated treatment suggestion to the doctor they're not going to make the treatment recommendation that is consistent with medicine i i personally and and any of the doctors i know and and i'm sure jackie would support it um that experienced nurses with training in the space will often come to you know in the emergency department again a nurse would come up and say patients um got nausea do you think on dancitron is a good idea for this patient and i would Uh say yes because yep. it is a good idea for that patient because they're a reasonable practitioner with a you know with an intelligent mind and capable of of making those suggestions and making those those early judgments. So it, look, it's a difficult question yeah. and it's fraught with a lot. But um, but I think those are the things that I would highlight are that we think that the model um, as it is as the regulation portends, we're not the ones who who made this up. Um, but as the regulation exists, we think our model offers a great degree of safety for patients. We think our model offers a great degree of compliance for the businesses, uh, and we also think that our model offers a degree of freedom for nurses to explore their um, their entrepreneurial aspirations. And I don't think any of those things is a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, and, you, and I, you, yeah. Sorry, I'm go mean, on,
2: John. Uh, I may just talk a little bit to the safety side of things as well. You know, it's that's one of the things that I sort of focused most on and and yeah I very much second that shout out to AMET or Aesthetic Med. Um I know Steven is a, a part of them. I am one of the doctors that that they can refer patients to if uh there is a complication and I've had patients referred to um who've had occlusions and um and I've seen them and what they're doing is great. And so you know uh all the support to them absolutely. Um it in I think sometimes there is this implication right that 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 safety um that doing this in in one way or over telehealth is 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 less safe um and to be sure there are uh there can be difficulties associated with telehealth but, and that's you know cosmetics or otherwise uh, within medicine but it is it, it is across the industry whether it is in in a local wise treatment with a plastic surgeon or you know a, a nurse who's over a telehealth um authorization is treating there, there are issues of, of of safety that we all need to address and you know a- anecdotally um in fact i've got you know a couple anecdotes of the, the most recent uh occlusions that i've managed actually from doctors uh, that were referred to me to manage and and Earlier in the year, there was um, you know, a plastic surgeon, one of the major teaching hospitals here in Sydney, and he um, had injected filler in a patient's nose, and, and she went off and ended up getting occlusion in her nose, that extended up into her glabella. She couldn't get in touch with him. Um, she presented to ED. They were like, I don't know. It looks like a bruise. Sent her home. She ended up in, in in my lap. And and at that point, too, had lost all faith in her plastic surgeon, and so it was like uncomfortable even going back there and and mm-hmm. um you know my advice was look you need to go back and see see your, your treating uh, surgeon your dysplastic surgeon and she didn't want to thankfully she did and in the end she came good she was you know he admitted her to, to, to hospital and and his um team took care of her as an inpatient and and, and there was no sort of long-term sequelae um, nonetheless you know She couldn't get in touch with them, right and she couldn't actually get care and 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 she ended up in 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 my lap and and uh, this would have been maybe a month or two ago i I got a call from previous president of of asaps and said oh look we've got a colleague who's in a bit of strife and had a patient um who had an occlusion uh, an angular artery and and so, you know, very gladly, I'm very happy to help. And so, we sort of actually managed it remotely. Um, ended up getting her in touch with um, uh, Mobin in in Melbourne, even though she's based here in Sydney. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, Mobin kind of remotely with uh, talked to her and and the interventional radiologist through management from you know from across the country basically
1: yeah and and And, just anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about because this is very sort of inside talk here people in the industry dr mobin master who's a radiologist down in victoria in melbourne who is i guess in some ways leading leading um, the charge in terms of um dealing with uh fillers through uh ultrasound and vascular occlusion identification sorry i just thought i'd just give some context if people knew who he was yeah
2: yeah absolutely And, and you know he'll uh through patients in his mri and you can and i think you know a few videos online you can see of that as well um but yeah so i think it, it safety is a it's an issue for all of us and it and it is it is not unique to to in you know, telehealth uh, consultations yeah. but in fact you know all of, it's something that we can all manage better
3: just just one sort of further piece on that is is the the kind of future that that we can facilitate through by virtue of our model um these These treatments are occurring in in nurse led clinics and and um, we can see, we can imagine a future in the not too distant future where a treatment occurs, and that patient then gets a, an email immediately sent to them that tells them who was the doctor, who was the nurse what what was the treatment that they were given um, here's a number to call if anything goes wrong um, you know here's the consent you signed et cetera et cetera but to have that um that back up across the industry, where we're hopeful that that is where we can get yeah. to. Right, we, we've we've said from the start. I think I might have said it at your last, this yeah. last podcast that we think competition should be on the high street, but behind that there should be um, universal collaboration around adverse event management. Um, we're not there yet, but but I think we're we're progressing there. So, um, finger pointing and and all that sort yeah. of stuff. I think. It, it yeah. doesn't help. It's it's medicine, right, and in, in, in the, in the, the primary focus needs to be this patient and their outcome. So how can we band together yep. and improve those outcomes for people? Um, yeah. We think, we think our, our model helps to do that, in fact, by sort of aggregating resources.
0: Yeah, I think that would be um, great for the industry. I, I've sort of thought about this, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast before, like almost like a Patients need uh, a record of what's happened, almost like a passport of Mm. treatments and what went in your face and how many meals and what was the batch number and all that stuff should happen, but we just don't don't do it. Yeah, so please do. Totally
3: right. Yeah,
0: yeah, and the other thing I was going to say is, you know, sorry, COVID has proved that Zoom is a very valuable tool. All specialties have, have moved to virtual consultation. Whether you're a GP, I know we've had plastic surgeons on, we've had ENT surgeons on. Ninety percent of them said they were surprised at how useful it was. There are, of course, of course, you can't touch a patient, you can't feel a lesion, but you can have a very good talk, assess, get them to express their face, go to different angles, palpate themselves, explain what it feels like, and so on. Correct. So. I think we should embrace the technology and just accept it's here. Let's, yeah. let's make it better well. <laughs> and understand how to be better Zoomers yeah. than, than say, no, it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, I'll
1: get maybe even a little bit philosophical. I think human beings act out of two emotions, love or fear, right? So fear of losing business, not being, you know, controlling the industry anymore, um, losing money, you, know, you can look at it from that perspective or you can come at it from a perspective of love, which is I love what I do, I love our industry, I love what I can do for my patients, I love good outcomes, I love safe treatments, all those sorts of things. What can I do as someone who's a, a stakeholder in this industry, whether you're a nurse, a doctor, a regulator, whatever it is, what can I do to make things better? How can we get better patient outcomes? How can we support each other rather than putting the finger and vilifying people and chasing after them with pitchforks when something goes wrong is how can we help them? How, yeah, really how do we make things better? How do we raise the profile of what we're doing? How do we make patients feel more safe mm-hmm. about, uh, and yeah, educated we, about what, what they're doing, who they're seeing if the shit hits the fan and something goes wrong that, hey, there's a number I can call. There's people that know what they're doing. I can, I can get looked after. Exactly. If my yeah. doctor's not available, I can call someone who is. I mean, this is what we need to do. Yeah, you know, absolutely. rather than fear of losing money and losing industry and losing prestige and ego yeah. and all those sorts of things, how do we raise the profile and collectively work together out of love for our industry and our patients and our colleagues to make this a better place for everybody. That's yeah. my that's my that's my rant for the. Good,
0: rant. I like it. Well, that's awesome. Now, earlier on, we we sort of briefly mentioned that there's been a slight change or revision to some of the guidelines. You know, for for people like ourselves, what what was the name of that act, and what what has specifically changed? Because these things sort of. To me, anyway, maybe maybe I'm the odd one out, but they seem to happen almost overnight, quietly, and I find out through a random Facebook forum. It's <laughs> yeah, not so, announced this, anywhere.
3: So this has been worked on for some time. There was uh, so so the name of the um, the changes is the Poisons and Therapeutics Good Regulations Act of 2008 in in New South Wales has now got what's called the the PTGR amendments. Um, it's been worked on for a while. So there, there was a discussion paper uh, that came out. Or maybe a year ago. Um, oh, two, yeah, it's, it's been out for a while. Um, that was uh, uh, January twenty twenty. Actually, I've got it in front of me. There you go, um, January twenty twenty. So that does again feels like a long time ago. That's before all, everything happened. Um, so we that 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 document highlighted essentially what they were planning to do, and basically what has happened is what they were planning to do. Um, you know, again for your international listeners, you know, New South Wales is is the most populous state in Australia, and um, and it tends to have the most um, strict, the strictest laws um, with regards to, to cosmetics. Um, we we tend to follow, except where there are state by state jurisdictional differences. We tend to follow what New South Wales says. Um, and so, New South Wales making these amendments has been a bit of a big deal for the Australian cosmetic industry. Um, the major, the biggest change, um, as we see it, are the creation of a new category of person who has com- who has um, obligations for cosmetic injectables, and that's that's known as a responsible provider. So, uh, what it actually says in the, in the Act, in the, in what's been signed, is it says the responsible provider in relation to a relevant substance means a person carrying on a business of administration of the relevant substance to which this part applies for a fee or award, uh, and whether or not for profit doesn't include an individual who is an employee or a contractor in the business. So, you know, what that means is the responsible provider is the owner of the business um, that administers the injectables. Previously... People like um, David. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, previously, if you were an owner, um, the, the... treatment with cosmetic injectables was only really regulated between the conduct of the consulting doctor and the administrating nurse was the only places where the regulation applied but the new amendments recognize there's another entity which is the person running the clinic and that person has a key position to ensure the maintenance of proper standards um, the responsible provider and the administrating nurse can be the same person of course and um, those in those um, clinics where the owner operator is the administrating nurse but um, it's the the amendments state that the administrating nurse has obligations as a capacity of the owner of the business, in addition to her obligation or his or her obligations as the administering nurse. Um, So David would be familiar with all this, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the major changes are that um, the responsible provider has to keep records made by the medical practitioner or the other authorized practitioner and by the nurse administering um, on the direction of the medical practitioner or the nurse practitioner um, there to have appropriate risk management policies and procedures in place to protect the health and safety of patients, appropriate equipment for use in a patient medical emergency and to ensure that nurses are adequately trained for patient medical emergencies and to ensure that the regulations are complied with, which we think is pretty reasonable. Yeah.
0: Can I, I mean, (laughs) you know, on on a superficial sort of scan of that, you go, well, okay, fair enough. But is that sort of trying to, stop you know people working in in the back of a hair salon because that that salon has to have more accountability they
3: have to yeah, yeah, be part of it i guess probably yeah like if if you're you know if you're running an operation that's like you know dodgy or shonky to use a couple of australianisms um <laughs> you know one that's one that's not really up to specification then previously only the doctor and the nurse would get in trouble yeah now um the person who owns that particular business will also face um, consequences. Mm. We, you know, with this particular part of the legislation, you know, we think we fit very nicely into this. Uh, All the people who, all the business owners who use our software and our um, practice policies are already well ahead of the game when it comes to these obligations. We manage all the records for them. We do our compliance checks every month to ensure that they've got um, everything is up to specification. We make sure they've got emergency medications on site. We make sure that everyone's got their basic life support certificates, et cetera, et cetera. So again, you know, we sort of take we take a lot of that that legwork um yeah. from, from the business owner. The obligation remains with the business owner, of course, but we make it easy for them and yeah. enable that um process to to go on.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, um, it's important. I mean, I, I'm sort of here, you know, thinking, gosh, you know, that's, you know, as a sole director, if you know, anyone that's done a director's course and understands the obligations of directors, you know, there's a hundred, 101 ways to go to jail, basically, um, <coughs> if you do the wrong thing. Um, so, but... Thinking about this logically and ethically, it makes sense because, you know, as an owner of a business, you can make decisions that can compromise your medical team, um, you know, giving them unrealistic expectations on timeframes to do treatments, you know, having fridges that don't work, not te- monitoring temperature, where are photos being taken, where are they being stored, are you providing them with all the right infrastructure to be able to uphold medical standards. So I think it's necessary as a business owner yeah. look you know the last thing i want is is, is more ways to get in trouble but i, I think it, it is needed and and because i have seen these things before where medical professionals have been strong arms into compromising making making decisions that perhaps aren't in the patient's best interest or not entirely by the yeah. book
3: and this is another area where you know we think we offer that that level of support to the independent where you know a, a big chain and you know LCA, you know, Clear Skins, a corporate-backed one, you know, Silk and and uh, ASC and all those guys um, have the resources to come up with appropriate risk management policies and procedures and to store medical records securely for seven years or whatever you've got to store them for. Um, but that 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 power is is often a bit out of reach for the small independent, and again, it creates a barrier to entry. Yeah. We want to we want to um, limit these artificial barriers to entry of course you've got to have your training um, of course you've got to have the, your, your regulations but where there is where there is a knowledge gap of what is the policy here what is the procedure here how do we get over that you know we're, we're here to help that happen where you know we can standardize that across across our network of clinics so that everyone's operating off the same policies and procedures that's been vetted by New South Wales health that's you know that's been through the ringer we know everyone's doing it right and we're checking we're checking every month which is which is often you know more than more than um more than might be being done in some of the change perhaps at times yeah potentially
0: can you just walk us through and this is probably a chance to plug your app as well but just walk us through the the process of what is expected in a consultation from you know from an injectable procedure um from you know patient arriving through to you know going home and aftercare and all the rest
2: of it yeah i can i can speak to a little bit about that and that We'll also bring up probably one of the other main points that I think a lot of uh, listeners, certainly local listeners, will care about. Uh, that's within these regulations. But I, you know, we, it's no different than when I see a patient in my clinic, right? You've got a patient that comes in, and and it's a consultation that you have there, and um, just to try and assess, you know, aesthetically what it is that they're looking for, or you know, what it is that is indicated, what is not indicated. Um, you know i've had people ask like how frequently do you tell people no and i said well kind of a lot if i'm honest with you like there are plenty i'm very happy to say look you just don't you know you don't need that um so like a very realistic um you know medical anesthetic assessment of of that patient a, a reasonable assessment of their you know past medical history significant past medical histories uh medications that they're taking uh Certainly, for women whether they're pregnant or breastfeeding, um, that's a hard contraindication for us for any sort of treatments. Um, so, just you know, the, whether it's a me in my clinic or, or you know a nurse that's uh, that's working with fresh clinics, then that would be the expectation. In terms of the the software from there, then uh, your patients will uh, input if if are not already in there, input all their their details, including their you know past medical history and that'll be reviewed um, and, uh, by the nurse in this example to ensure that they're not you know just glazing over things that they're their med- their uh, medications that they take as well and then um, and then the nurse will have a, a video which is this legislation clearly um, this regulation clearly outlines it needs to be a, a video consultation So we'll have that consultation with the doctor, and and as part of that, you know, we certainly expect a a a thorough and solid medical handover. Effectively, right? This is um, Jane Doe. She's a 32 year old female. She's got a past medical history which includes X, Y, and Z. She's not on any current medications. She's not pregnant, nor is she breastfeeding today. um, You know, she's interested in having some neurotoxin in her frontalis and. You know, maybe a mill of filler in her chin um and then similarly from the doctor's end then um that, that similar kind of consultation of any questions at all um addressing any of, of those issues and showing that the patient understands the risks associated with what they're doing um clarifying any you know the treatment details um verifying uh, all of that and, and sort of confirming or or prescribing, so to speak, uh, that treatment, and then um, and then mm-hmm. and then approving
0: that. So, so the nurse has made the suggestion. You know, I have discussed frown lines, and one of the solutions is neurotoxin. You know, then obviously the doctor sees the face, gets them to frown, and asks them some questions. Goes, yeah, I I recommend. You know, however many okay, units yeah, in I mean, there. So that's is... how it works, is it?
2: Oftentimes it works that way. Sometimes it's like, what do you think? I don't know. And, and there's a consultation with the doctor. So, but yeah, oftentimes it is like that. Okay. And, and, you know, in there are plenty of times, and you and I have spoken about this in the past, Jake, that of like, no, absolutely not, for, whether it's medically, for medical reasons or for aesthetic reasons, mm. that, you know, that's, you know, that is not actually a, a good idea. Yeah. Um, or that's not indicated. in, in yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's where the you know it's a good example of doctor nurse having a collaboration, teamwork, discussing a... a medical case doesn't have to be aesthetic; could be anything, and then you know just so happens that the doctor has the legal authority to say yes or no. That's just how it is.
3: Yeah, and it's it's the other peculiarity of this business, right? Because it's it's not just medicine; it's commerce and medicine together, and yeah. that's that's a bit yeah. you know, particularly in Australia. That's a bit that's yeah. a bit unusual at times, and if someone if someone comes into me as a as a gp and they have a need for antibiotics you know i will decide i will decide what the treatment course is maybe they don't need antibiotics maybe they do what antibiotics do they need blah 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 like it's not it's it's not a discussion it's not a it's not a you know um uh, as much of a collaborative team discussion i mean of course of course uh, uh, it's a it's a discussion around the, the treatment goals for the patient and that sort of thing but but the actual treatment recommendation is is much yeah. more aligned with my training and expertise i think in this circumstance the patient often comes in and they say i want XYZ you know and that's within Within the realm of, of normalcy here, because it's it's a you know it's a commercial transaction in that aspect of it. I'll come in and say I want to purchase this. Yeah. Um, it's our role to guide that decision making and to help um, inform where it's appropriate and where it's not appropriate. But um, but the appropriateness and the non appropriateness of it are um, also informed by you know patient desires and and patients beliefs around their outcomes. There's limits to that. Um, um, of course, but but you know we're it's, we're much more guided in these circumstances by by our patients as well. Yeah, yeah, and you see that in in you know cosmetic surgery as well, of course. So,
0: and I think one of the other uh, sort of clarifications which is useful with the new Poisons Act is that these uh, authorities to treat or prescriptions, if we want to call it that, is valid for six months. Yeah, thank so you been something that's kind of never really been clarified
3: yeah so there's two points to clarify there actually it's because you've said the administration to treat versus prescription they clarify that in this act so they clarify that um, the doctor who does the consult is not prescribing the medicine because prescribing is for drugs that are dispensed by a chemist. Mm-hmm. Instead, this is a direction to administer the cosmetic injectable. That's that's the wording that they use. Ah. So mm-hmm. that's 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 been confirmed. And the other thing is that's been confirmed is um, the amendments clarify that a direction to administer lasts no longer than six months, i.e., that you need to have another consultation if six, more than six months have gone past since the last consultation. At the moment, right. we do twelve months. That's industry standard. From the first of September in New South Wales, to meet the regulations, consultations will have to be done every six months. Um, that's that seems to me to be a, a little bit arbitrary, but that's okay. Um, you know, we're happy to go along with that. Um, that's that's been been decreed, and so we, we'll will will ensure that we comply, and uh, um, that you know we'll we'll be in discussion with the nurses in our network about that.
0: Just to clarify, then, so this, if the, I think you said it's a direction to treat. So, you know, the directions are still going to be so many units via a needle into this part of the face and, and yep. this frequency right. and so on. So you're almost, it, it is prescriptive, but it's not a, a formal prescription.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, that's right. And, you know, a, a prescription, as doctors write them, and this would be. I, I almost universal I think right, of what a prescription is is it's a legal document which is you know written by a doctor often then handed to the patient though not always and the patient takes that to a chemist and that chemist then dispenses that medication right so that prescription authorizes the pharmacist to then dispense that in, in Australia that scheduled medication um to that patient you know and they that's like it has to be in their name right it's they you've got names of drugs and so yeah that's that's what a prescription is so the reason it's
3: important jake is that prescription has a very technical legal term and it has very technical legal constraints um one of which is that in new south wales a prescription must be hand signed wet signature with a pen yeah uh if you have a prescription that is not hands i mean Asterix, they've just released electronic prescriptions and you can get a QR code and all that sort of stuff. But in general, a prescription must be hand-signed. If it's not, it's not a legal prescription. So if in if this was determined to be a prescription, then all of these decrees, all of these treatment authorities would have to be hand-signed. Um, So that's just one example. The others are like how it gets formatted and all that sort of stuff. So there's 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 a bunch of things, but, you know, we're happy with this. Again, New South Wales Health have looked at our paperwork and what we generate. They're happy with it. We're very specific about what can be done, um, and that's appropriate. That's what should be done. It's a treatment authority. And the concept concept is that, you know, um, I'm a nurse in a plastic surgeon's clinic, and the plastic surgeon is you know, in the next room and I pop my head around and say, you know, hey, Dr. Smith, I've got Jane in the room. Here's the clinical history. This is the treatment we're thinking of. What do you think of that? And the plastic surgeon says, that sounds fine. That's been going on for generations. Um, this is sort of codified in in a, um, in the law now.
1: Yeah. How do you guys vet who are writing, well, not scripts, but, you know, giving authorization for these nurses to carry out these treatments? How do you sort of quarantine, not quarantine, God, quarantine on the brain, how do you sort of assess um, who are the right people in terms of training expertise? Cause I know in the past, you know, not with you guys, but I mean, in general, there'll be doctors who go, great. You know, this seems like a bit of a great moonlight job. I'll just write a few scripts. I don't know anything about Botox or fillers or how it works or what to do when something goes wrong, but I'm legally able to, to sort of, you know, give authorization for this. So how do you guys go through that process in terms of, you know, how much experience they've got, you know, are they yeah. going to be able to assess that it, and, and deal with these situations? Because
3: we had a bit of a, we had a change recently in that yeah. um, we, we used to have our, our business relationship with the doctors was as a, as a subcontractor relationship. So a mm-hmm. doctor who was interested in doing the, the treatment authorities for us would get in touch and we, we would do we, we would assess their um, level of experience in the field. And if they needed some training, we would provide them training, et cetera. But we had a limited level of control in that relationship, that dynamic of a subcontractor relationship. So we've actually changed now um, and we employ our doctors. Right. um, And that gives us much more control. So how do we recruit? Normally we recruit through, I mean, we're doctors, we've got colleagues um, and they're interested. And um, that's that's often how that comes about. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they've got cosmetic experience, sometimes they don't. Where they don't, we don't unleash them on an unwitting public. You know, we we train them. Um, uh, right. We train them in. We train them in cosmetics um, as a theoretical con- uh, concept. As you know, uh, what are the appropriate dosing? Um, you know, requirements. What are the medications? What are the contraindications? Just, just again, just like yep. in any any medicine, right? It's this is these are medicines that we're using on on the public. Um, then we also give them practical training, so we do that ourselves through our training um, that we have our training you know people mm-hmm. um, we also organize with the with the suppliers to um, to facilitate training for them as well so we want we want the the our doctors yeah. to be able to understand the injectables from a medical perspective that is pharmacology right pharmacodynamics, pharmacokinetics, how do these things work you know, et cetera et cetera um, and then we train them in the practical as well so yeah. so both of those things are important to us. In terms of complication management, yes, there's training in complication management, but but again, we would expect them to refer up. You know, in the yeah. same way that in you know, in the hospital, if you're an intern or a resident and you're junior, you refer up to your registrar and he refers up to his boss. And that's just the way it is. Um, that's medicine. Again, nothing new or unusual about this. It's the same in our sphere. Um, we have people who do a lot of the work of, of the day to day work, but when there is a complication, it's it's elevated and escalated. And we make it very clear that that's our expectation. We we, yeah. we want that to occur. Um, so that's, that's sort of how we handle that. Does that, if that yeah, makes no, sense. that's good.
1: I guess that's why John's sleep deprived. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that. sure.
3: Sure, so that the, not, with, not that you know, have
1: that many complications. I'm, it's, no, it's a joke. I'm no, to be <laughs> fair,
2: there's fewer than you'd expect. Uh, um, yeah, I think, and which I think speaks to the general level of safety of these yeah. medications that we're using, and and generally um, to the procedures procedures that are being done. And yeah, you know, we have a like we have a 24-hour number that is an emergency number, and it comes to me. I will uh, answer that number. Um, oh, I might give you a call, John. <laughs> yeah, What's the number? <laughs> yeah, that number
1: is... <laughs> I'm feeling lonely on those cold winter nights. That's right. <laughs> give Dr. Holbrook a call.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it. if, you've, if it's at three o'clock in the morning and, and the emergency is please, yet your Botox yes. hasn't quite kicked in, call John. Yeah. That's right. Please it's call fine, me. But... It's 1-800-555. <laughs> um, and actually, you know, it's probably worth asking from the other end of the spectrum, how do you vet the, the nurses or, or injectors who who you're taking on board uh, and what are your sort of thresholds to say i'm i'm sorry no like or, or do you kick people off if if they're not compliant and they don't do what you're asking yeah absolutely
3: them? we do jake yeah we do we do that um for sure where people are non-compliant um we you know we give people an opportunity to correct the, you know as i mentioned earlier almost everyone we deal with wants to do the right thing and they've started their own business and they're they're passionate about their business and you know they're, they're trying to do the right thing so we we help to educate and inform we help to help people to get through the particular regulatory loopholes they've got there's a difference between between regulatory compliance and safety sometimes they overlap sometimes they don't we've got very limited tolerance for people who don't take safety seriously um you know very limited uh, almost to the point of zero like we'll, we'll hear people out but but that's that's, um, that's our number one, mm. particularly in this remote model, right? There's, you know, we understand that the lens is on us and we take that really seriously. With the regulatory staff, we'll help educate, we'll help inform. If there's repeated infractions, um, that'll get escalated. And and yeah, those people will, will will suggest that maybe we're not the people they want to be working with. When nurses join us um, or when they when they wish to join us, um, they apply. Um, we, we have cosmetic registered nurses on staff that will assess their level of competence. Um, we've got, recognition of prior learning program um where people need more education they're referred either to our training arm or, or they can get you know training elsewhere if if we're um we're satisfied with the with the provider and and those that includes um the chains you know we, we take that as as um if someone's done a certain amount of time at the chains we take that as uh, acknowledgement that those guys you know know what they're doing they get um, so that's there, sort of yeah. generally how we work through that that training regimen and then and then we're checking in with our people really regularly and and our staff are registered nurses um who are cosmetically trained and know what they're doing and know what they're talking about so when our account managers or our compliance staff are checking in with our nurses and our clinics as they're doing regularly there's a there's an opportunity at all points and all touch points for that to be a really good service outcome of how can we help you how can how can this get better um we offered a whole suite of paid for training opportunities and complimentary training opportunities that we do throughout the course of the year um you know there's a lot of webinars that we facilitate um and a lot of social um non-cosmetic stuff that we do a lot of business training um uh you know um other other kind of non-agenda driven get-togethers that that yeah. um, help us to get a sense and a feel for Uh, how these people are performing and how they're coping and how they're feeling, you know, sometimes it can be a bit lonely out there on your own, running your own business, trying to do it all, trying to juggle kids and work and yada, yada. So we can, we try to help with that and take that whole, whole, whole of person view really. We're not just looking at, can you inject a lip? You know, it's, it's a, it's broader than that. Sure.
0: One final question then, and I mean this, I'm asking this because this has been thrown at you guys anecdotally and you know, you're not naive. I think you probably heard this criticism, but I applaud the fact that you guys want to democratize, you know, injectors. I think it's great. You've given injectors sort of a platform to sort of elevate themselves and whatever. But one of the criticisms that's thrown at you is that you have, I guess, flooded the market with product that is well, you know, it, it's cheap and available for anyone, versus other doctors who've might been doing this for ten years and don't have access to that product. So you've almost given an advantage to people potentially who are very inexperienced. So uh, I don't know how to ask that in another way, but I think you understand what I'm getting at.
2: People have have their opinions about things. I I don't know that I would necessarily agree. Um, And in fact, the the product that is available is the same product or the same um, sort of deal, so to speak, that those pharmaceutical companies offer to everybody.
3: I'd respond with a challenge to the people who, I mean, what is the issue here? Th- there's a suggestion that we're flooding the market with cheap product and, and uh, under-trained nurses. It, it no, seems
0: no, to- no, no, not untrained nurses. Well, no, certainly not that I've heard. But yeah. John Holbrook just sort of touched on, I, I guess, the point was that prior to, you know, services like Fresh, people would point to the chain clinics and say, Wow, you've you've lowered the bar, it's so cheap that it's devalued. This is medicine, you know, you get your lips for $389, blah, 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 whatever. Sure. Now nurses and I don't know how many nurses you look after, but lots, also now have access to similar, you know, low biases for themselves to buy product. Yeah. And then they can also effectively be an independent Chain, if well, not a chain, but an independent low priced provider as well, sort of diluting yeah. that and, and standard if you like further. Who get
3: caught in the middle because they can't buy, correct? That, at, that's what I'm trying to get at. Significant prices because they don't have the volume based discount. Yes, yes.
1: it's economics, right? Supply that's and mean, demand. That's
3: ridiculous. <laughs> <do> like, <laughs> if you've got, un- if there's more of something, it becomes like, less it,
1: expensive. Yeah,
3: you, so, you know, right. and if and if you know, the, the argument cuts both ways right like either the nurses can't do it and the doctors are so much better and <laughs> all that sort of stuff or the nurses are you know they're they're eating your lunch they're, they're doing a great service um yeah you know, yeah they've, they've got they've got product at, a, at X price it's not like it's not that much cheaper you know and if your skills are that much better and you know you've got the prestige of the doctor and all that sort of thing you know i don't i don't i don't have too much sympathy for that you know it's, it's sort of a bit like taxi drivers when uber came around they're all like arms in the air i'm like the public's voting they're voting for their feet so yeah that's like that's business sorry <laughs> and no, and I, and I, I, I agree you, i'm uh, just asking the
0: question that, <laughs> I've, that I've heard anecdotally at, you know conferences and people whispering and i'm like well that's just life you know do you want pizza hut or do you want you know something else <laughs> and, I think and too- they're not
3: competing for the same crowd is the other that's thing true. right like yeah. you know it's we growing the market we we have a you know a lot of we have a lot of uh, patients who who our network treat that wouldn't in a million years go and get treated by a, a dermatologist, ophthalmologist, plastic surgeon like it's just not going to happen right yeah. you know 25 year old 22 year old wants a lip done. great you know they're looking for their local provider who's a nurse they they like and trust and they follow them on Instagram and yada 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 it's not just that that nurse can access medical oversight at at a reasonable price it's that that nurse has a whole suite of things that many of the doctors can't offer um so you know i think it's it's disingenuous to to say that it's it's you know just a price offering there's there's so much more to it and the the public the public vote um and that that public voting generates a volume that generates Uh, a discount. So that's, that's sort of, that's life. It's, it's basic
1: business economics 101. I mean, this is the way it works. This is, this is why we live in a capitalist society. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this is, this, as you said, people vote with their feet. I mean, yes, the overarching message and um, requirement is that it's safe. People are not being put at risk. People are adequately trained. They're there to get the right support. But I mean, if someone's found a way to do things better, more cost-effective, more convenient closer like that's that's just the way of the world yeah, that's and just I, the way it works so as long as you've got all those boxes ticked from a compliance and and safety perspective then that's just life
2: and yeah. i think to the second sort of what john Delaney said as well both of you know um back uh quite well who, who?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs>
2: yes and yes i know he's been on the show as well and um J- just was- a
0: reference he's the well the the original founder of laser clinics australia has now sold so not yeah. nothing to do with it now no.
2: um he's a nice guy good dude um but i was recently uh speaking with fallback um and he was sort of reflecting on, you know, one of the things of of laser, that Laser Clinics Australia did, and then that he did within Laser Clinics Australia was that he basically created a whole new market segment, yeah. right? That then um, John sort of alluded to that that you know there are there are a number of these patients that aren't in a million years uh, going to go and see you know going to somebody a plastic surgeon's room in, in Double Bay, and some of them are going to, and they do go into those rooms, but others, there's just no way. And I think Bobak said, look, you know, I, I created a new, a new market segment um, yeah. that just didn't exist before. And I, and I would, I, I'm not so bold as to say that what we are doing is created a, a new market segment, but I think that that market segment exists and we are servicing that, that market segment.
1: You yeah. Know? You're reducing friction points. You're making it easier, That's more right. convenient, safe, dust, liquor. You know, um, I didn't, I mean, I was in, involved with LCA in the, in the very early days and I didn't hear about doctors, surgeons and doctors, clinics and plastic surgeons offices closing because LCA had come about. That didn't happen. Um, the market grew, as you said, it was all of a sudden a treatment that was not just something that the rich and the famous could afford and Hollywood stars. It was something that the everyday person, um, could realistically afford to go and and, go, and do and they didn't have to travel to the other end of Australia or to, you know, Double Bay in Sydney. To, but, you know, to, to get it done, they could go to their local provider um, and, and get good treatment. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And I, I think sometimes it's not just about people losing market. I think there is an element of ego, people feeling like, wow, I wish I would have done that. Mm-hmm. I wish that was my idea. I wish I was having this recognition and success and it's not. And sometimes people find ways to communicate that or to express their, you know, their discontent with that um, by attacking um, it's not about how can I do better how can what this person has done inspire me to do things better it's how dare they stand up how dare they sort of encroach on my territory and that should have been me with that success so I think that there's an element of all these all these things involved when you when you hear these sort of this sort of
2: backlash yeah, yeah and but, look I think know. there's a real rising tide lifts all boats here yes where you know you you look at projections for the industry at large right and like doubles every five years yeah. or something it's just this enormous growth right like how how are we going to get there um like i'm not gonna i can't double the number of patients that i see in a day <laughs> yeah right? like i'm yeah. busy so I, I i think it's it's opening new market segments i mean the you know the the figure that i've heard from Allergan that, that they sort of toss around is this six percent penetration of of botox in the adult Market and you know and like it's relatively low. Um, there's lots of room. There's a rising yeah. tide which really truly can lift all boats. Correct.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I threw that question in because I wanted to see you squirm, but you answered it very well. And um, no, and, and to be honest, it's, it's a valid question because you yeah, know have heard it sort of pointed around but i i agree that the bigger the pie gets the more pie there is for everyone else and you know like you said john everyone is busy covid post covid the, oh. the world went bananas and we're going to see it again here in new south wales where there's this pent-up demand yet again and, and you know there's people who've got to go somewhere and i i can't take on people I'm booked for months now and and you know and every week that we're in lockdown that gets worse so, you know, there is a market and and there's an injector for everyone and I completely agree with what you're doing. So, well done, guys. Um, I'm sort of concerned that we're going on for too long now, It's yeah, over an hour and a half. Down, I think. Yeah. So, we will cut it there, but thank you for sort of, I guess this sort of an update on on the industry and regulations. It was sort of, yeah kind of long overdue. We had the panel discussion, we had you guys on quite a while ago, so thanks for yeah. sort of filling in the gaps and, and sort of letting us know about the new act. Do you want to leave your your contact details if if you know people listening either want to utilize your service or just reach out and ask a bit more about it what's the best way of contacting you
3: yeah for sure so yeah thanks guys always a pleasure to talk to you and um we really love what you're doing as i said at the start um uh, any time we'd be very happy to talk again um if, if people are like interested you
2: guys as well so it's, you know <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh
3: if, if people are interested um our website's a, a great resource freshclinics.com.au um instagram fresh.clinics
1: and they um if you go to the app store they just look up how do they find your app
3: app store fresh clinics but the the app's not useful to you unless you're a unless you've signed up with us so, so uh, uh, get, get on, it on the, on my phone. Get on the get get website and get it. in touch oh, no. um <laughs> And we, you know, we'd love to have a chat to to anyone who's interested. Um and, and in fact, if anyone's just interested in, in kind of shooting the breeze about the about the industry, we're we're always um, happy to talk to to players in the industry who who have kind of opinions and thoughts, good or bad. Um, you know, we're open to that feedback. We like to, as much as we can, just keep our head down and and you know, we're not we're not listening too much to to the praise or the or the or the criticism and just trying to do our thing and be safe and um, yeah. look after our patients and look after our clients. And you know, hopefully, if we keep those two things. At the front of our mind, then, then the success follows.
1: Yeah. I'd love to get you guys back on at some point when you're willing to share some data because I'm sure you guys are collecting <laughs> a ton of data um, well, with all the da- treatments da- data's that you're overseeing. Yeah, us. yeah. We, I'd yeah. like to. We might, we might, I don't know whether you're going to be willing to do that, but that would be a very interesting oh, no, discussion we'll, with, we'll, with some we'll, insights yeah, and, and really trends interesting and so
2: on. Discussion. Yeah, let's we'll fast forward, you yeah. know twelve months and got well, nice And then, bra- and then at you. the
1: end of and at the end of the podcast we can do a live auction to all the pharmaceutical companies that want to buy that and we'll take a <laughs> cut. What do you think? <laughs>
3: no, now you're, now you're talking, you know.
0: Fantastic. Well thanks guys. Stay safe and um we will speak soon. Thanks
3: everyone. Thanks you guys Bye for our
0: latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside
1: Aesthetics Podcast. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.